One, two, three, four. Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! It's my screen time too! Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms pretend that the TV made for their kids was actually made for them. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. I have one son. His name is Jay. He's 20 months old. And I have a seven-year-old named Tony and twin four-year-olds, Libby and Nate. Deborah, I don't know if either of us really lived in the era where water cooler TV was a thing. Oh, is that where you like... Like when you around the wall, yeah. Like when you went to work and like everyone would be buzzing about like last night's episode of Blah. I would have to go back to college when everybody watched Friends. I was thinking there was just this brief moment, my first job after college, when Lost and Desperate Housewives came out that same year, and for a second, everyone was talking about them in a big way. I miss that community around TV. Right. Maybe your kids can provide stimulating conversation about what they've just seen. But Jay is pretty much just like elephant. And that's all I get. So here we are podcasting about Disney cartoons. Yeah. How is that for like a little (laughs) summary of why we do this? (laughs) Our kids are mostly adorable, aren't they, Katie? Mostly adorable. But that stage doesn't last forever. This week I was trying to think of something I could share that my kids did that are cute. And there's just a small window of time where they mispronounce things in a really adorable way. Right now, one of my four-year-olds says animal instead of animal, like (laughs) two M's. And then uh, my four-year-old girl this week, she's been saying apricot instead of (laughs) apricot. And her twin brother keeps correcting her, but she can't hear it. (laughs) So it says back and forth, Libby, it's apricot, 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 apricot. It's funny. Oh my gosh, I love the conversation at your breakfast table. Well, sort of along those same lines of pronunciation, we have an alphabet book and Jay recognizes the pictures on every page. So we go through and I'm like, A is for, and he knows it's an apple, so he says apple. But there's one page that he just gets wrong every time. And it's my fault. It's because the first time we turned the page, it's the page for the letter F. There are a bunch of fish, but they're in an aquarium. So there's like a statue in the aquarium for them to swim around. And I don't know how it happened. We were reading this book and I pointed to the statue. So now every time we go to the page for F, he goes, statue. And I was... (laughs) I was trying to correct this by saying, no, F is for fish. The F sound, fa-fa. So now he thinks it's super hilarious to just run around the house going, fa-fa-fa-fa-fa-fa. And it didn't occur to me that people would assume this was a curse word till I was talking to my dad on the phone. We were FaceTiming, and Jay was just doing his fa-fa, and he was appalled. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, should we get to the main event? Elena. Yeah, Elena of Avalor. I took the summary for the show from Wikipedia, which says, Elena of Avalor is an American computer animated television series about a Latina princess and her family and takes place in the same continuity as Disney Junior's Sophia the First. Who knew? 
Teen princess Elena Castillo Flores has saved her magical kingdom of Avalor from an evil sorceress and must now learn to rule as its crown princess. Since she is only physically 16 years old, although she spent another 41 years conscious inside the amulet of Avalor, actually making her 57, she must follow the guidance of a grand council composed of her grandparents, older cousin Chancellor Esteban, and a new friend, Naomi Turner. Elena also looks to her younger sister, Isabel, her friends, Wizard Mateo, and Royal Guard Lieutenant Gabe, a spirit animal named Zuzo, and a trio of magical flying creatures called Jackwins for guidance and support. That was really long, but I read it just so you, dear listener, can experience the sense of overwhelming backstory that I experienced the first time I read it. There's only been one season. It just started airing last year. The two of us watched it uh, thanks to the on-demand services of our various cable companies. So why did we pick this one? We've done a couple episodes now and they've all been shows for fairly young kids, right? So I think there was a little desire to move outside of that. And the Disney princess industrial complex is an interesting thing to critique. Do you worry about it with Libby? I mean, I know she's only four, but are you like girding yourself for when princesses take over her life? A little bit, a little bit. We've also seen uh, Elena of Avalor merchandise everywhere. So I was just curious what it was about. Mm -hmm. Is it good? Is it bad? And we will What's the deal? Very questions. For this episode, we watched season one, episode one, first day of rule, episode ten, the scepter of light, and episode fourteen, flight of the Jackwins. So why don't we start out with a plot summary of the pilot, Deborah? You gave a good summary. There was a little synopsis at the beginning of that first episode, and I did not read a summary before, so. I was furiously taking notes because it was a lot to keep track of. Yeah. Elena rides the flying Jacqueline, which I always want to pronounce Joaquin. Yeah. Because of the way it's spelled like Joaquin Phoenix. Also, that's how Um, autocorrect corrects it when you spell it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The episode kind of revolves around the fact that she's technically too young. 16 and she goes on this quest to prove that she can rule her kingdom and then ultimately decides that she does in fact need the grand council she goes through some adventures all of those characters that you mentioned are introduced Um, there's a problem with ships going missing in the harbor turns out they're being stolen by these little purple elfin creatures that are called noblins She gets advice from several people, including the mystical dog that only she can see, Zuzo. And then she eventually admits that she needs a little help. And then at the very end, her scepter glows when she takes hold of it. And that kind of surprises everybody because that's never happened before in the history of the scepter like i said i went into this pretty unprepared so (laughs) i didn't realize that she was supposed to be a latina princess so i was wondering where it took place because it did seem like the music seemed kind of spanish inspired but then the language that they're reading looks vaguely arabic yeah i think they may have just done that with the text 
uh, so they could broadcast it in different countries in different languages without having to use actual letters or actual script. Oh, Disney. They've got it figured out. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out like where in Spain, where like the, where the Moorish influence was, but I guess it's just a fictional universe where Sophia the first also, yeah. ran, also <laughs> reigns. I mean, it seemed like sort of a pan-Hispanic, it seemed to have pan-Hispanic influences. Like, it seemed like they really cherry-picked. Right, right. Can I just say as an aside that I have totally agonized over whether we're supposed to say Hispanic or Latino or Latina? Well, I read a long time ago that that's sort of geographic. Like, if you're from the Midwest, people tend to say Hispanic. And if you're from anywhere other than that, Midwest people say Latino or Latina. Okay. So we're showing our Midwestern roots. One character that kind of spoke to me was Mateo. Mm-hmm. Does Disney own the Harry Potter franchise now? Nope. That's no. universal. Didn't he seem like a Harry Potter heavily influenced by Harry Potter character? Oh yeah. I'm sure they'd love some of that Harry Potter mojo. He's the go-to spell guy. I like that instead of just having a wand, he has a wand with a drum on the end. Add yeah, a little something extra. <laughs> but just from the pilot, Elena seems like a badass. Like they have this scene where she's driving a carriage and she turns around in sword fights and she still manages to drive the carriage. I'm pretty excited to watch her story unfold. That said, the backstory was super complicated and I really could have used like a flashback episode where they actually explained all this stuff. Right. Because there was a lot to keep track of. Did you get the feeling that Esteban was evil? Is he the cousin? Yes. It seems like Esteban has been taking some sort of a leadership role in the kingdom before Elena was there. So she's looking to him for guidance. But if he was in a leadership position before she was released from the amulet, doesn't that mean that he was working for the evil sorceress? Plus he had that sinister, like, dad from the Adams family mustache that all animated movie villains have. So that was a big Big clue also. Is he on the Grand Council? Yeah, she did put him on the Grand Council, which I thought seemed like a rookie move, but she's only 16 slash 57 years old. (laughs) (laughs) What was she doing trapped in that amulet for 41 years if she was supposedly conscious? Certainly wasn't learning to read people. That'd be pretty boring. Yeah, like, do you think she had a body? Like... Or is that what happens when people like have their heads cryogenically frozen oh. to be preserved like after death? Oh no. That's what I was thinking. Just like suspended in a state of semi-consciousness. I don't want any consciousness in that situation. I don't want to know that time is passing. I don't think it's a good idea that I be frozen after my death. Could you let Kevin know that? Okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> So my other basic question is that, you know, the whole question is, is Elena ready to be queen? Or will she just rule as crown princess? Why isn't one of her grandparents acting as king or queen? I don't know. Monarchy rules are complicated. So maybe they are not actually entitled to the kingdom. You know, like maybe her mom was queen and they're like, the dad's parents or something. So they're, I don't know. But isn't she always looking fondly at pictures of her dad and being like, I can do it just like you, dad. Seemed weird to me. All right. I only had another note about animation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because it's made for TV and it's CGI. 
and it's Disney doesn't take the care that it does with the movies, mm -hmm. but Elena had dead Stepford wife eyes. I didn't even notice. Oh no. Empty eyes. Oh. It's just the anime. It's just the CGI, but it was totally Nicole Kidman, like robot stare. <laughs> now I'm just picturing. Her face is moving, but her eyes are not smiling. I'm just picturing Elena trying to clap. <laughs> You can't see it, but I'm doing Nicole Kidman's Oscar clap. Yeah, I guess my only thought about the animation style is that computer animation in television shows took me a while to get used to, but I think it's still superior to like the crappy, very quickly hand-drawn animation of half-an-hour television shows when we were growing up. It does right. look smoother than that and a little less mm. slapdash, despite the dead yeah. eyes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Should we move on to the next episode? Sure. The Scepter of Light. Okay, so I actually felt like even though we generated these episodes randomly, this was a really nice one to watch next because it was all about why her scepter glows. And it kind of felt like that was the chief mystery that was left open at the end of the pilot. So I don't really know what they were doing episodes two through eight. But episode 10 is when we finally get to figure out what's going on with the scepter. There's a solar eclipse happening in Avalor. And it turns out that Elena's sister Isabel is an awesome inventor and she invents this cool telescope to be able to watch the eclipse safely without damaging your eyes. So there's this prophecy of Orizaba the moth fairy who was banished to the spirit world and she can only come back when there's an eclipse. So Elena goes to get ready for the ball and she picks up her scepter and it glows and then it shoots fire and she's like what is going on and then Zuzo the spirit dog wolf fox thing shows up and says that the scepter channels Elena's magic and apparently she had some residual magic from being trapped in the amulet for so long so they decide that until they figure out what's going on with the scepter she shouldn't touch it and of course during the eclipse Orizaba the moth fairy returns and she's going to bring eternal night to the kingdom. But first she needs this jewel called the Eye of Night. And if she finds it before the eclipse is over and she puts it at the top of this obelisk in the square, then there will be eternal night. Elena tries to zap her with the scepter, but instead she zaps open this pedestal and that's where the eye of light is hidden. So she inadvertently gives the eye of light to Orizaba, who puts it in the obelisk and succeeds in starting the process of eternal night. Wow, this is sounding really complicated. It was complicated. Um, <laughs> so when Elena uses the scepter, it weakens her. So Mateo summons Zuzo, who says that they need to make the scepter glow to send Orizaba back to the spirit world. And they figure out that the magic word to make this happen is glow. <laughs> <laughs> So Elena is chasing Orizaba. She's making the scepter glow and she's getting weaker and weaker. And then Orizaba grabs Isabel, Elena's little sister, which prompts Elena to be really strong. And she uses the scepter and sends Orizaba back to the underworld and breaks the eye of night. At the end, when she's recovering from her magical exertions, she forms this dream team with Mateo and Zuzo to figure out all of Elena's magic powers that she acquired when she was in the amulet. 
So that's pretty much it. That was a really long summary. There's just a lot going on, yeah. which makes it entertaining, but it's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, it's hard to summarize. So I had three main thoughts about this episode. Okay. One, it was a total Frozen ripoff, right? Have you seen Frozen? Have I seen Frozen? <laughs> I mean, it's about a girl who can't control her powers to freeze everything. And it, it just seemed like the whole bit where Elena doesn't have control over her scepter and she's drained of her energy when she does use it. I thought that just seemed like they just took a big plot line from the movie Frozen. Right. And they kind of smushed Anna and Elsa together. Because yeah. Elena was the one that was being drained, and Elsa had the powers, and they were like, oh, we'll just combine them to make Elena. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. And then my second main thought was, this just goes back to like the Victorian era, and how women were diagnosed with hysteria and didn't have control over their own bodies, especially when it, it because the medical establishment would like assign all kinds of weirdness to women's reproductive systems. Mm-hmm. And this seemed like she couldn't control herself and it had to be black magic that was doing it. So I thought there were some problems with that. I don't know. Well, no, I hear you. I'm I'm trailing off. (laughs) No, she can't just be strong, right? It's not enough that she just be this badass princess with this scepter that shoots laser beams or beams of light. I prefer to think of them as laser beams. She has to also then have these repercussions for using her strength, which does feel like a little bit of BS. Like, just let her be strong. Yeah. She had to sleep for two days to recover. I feel like if one of the male characters had had control over the scepter, which is a little bit of a phallic symbol also, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not a little bit. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if a male character were wielding a scepter of light <laughs> he wouldn't have to sleep for sleep it off for two days well recover. but he would fall immediately asleep after using it <laughs> uh, so uh, speaking of scepters of light my third thought was Matteo the Harry Potter and then Gabe who's kind of a little bit hapless but very handsome they're the two romantic interests right think they're gonna take it that way I wasn't sure with the age range that they're shooting for that they're actually gonna take the romantic plunge but it did very much feel like she and Matteo had a moment right probably if it were a movie if she were like a Cinderella or a Sleeping Beauty but it's got to be an ongoing thing so maybe they're just pals yeah but I agree I definitely got that feeling from their last interaction um I don't know if I have any like larger You pretty much gave me a chance to vent everything I thought. I got nothing other than I think it's really cool that Isabel is an inventor and it gives her a little something extra that normally the younger sibling characters are kind of just there to move the plot. And Isabel does get captured a lot, but uh, she also invents cool things to watch solar eclipses. I accidentally watched, I mean, accidentally on purpose watched an extra episode and it's where she goes to school And she is in a science class and she is sort of ridiculed for knowing all the answers. So she ends up, of course, solving a problem with like math and geometry and then realizes that it's cool to know math. 
Well, it's sad <laughs> to think that even in Avalor, a magical fictional country, women are discouraged from STEM fields. I take it right. that. Yeah. But anyway, that's not the episode we watched. Do you want to move along to the last episode? Flight of the Wakins? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture like big bearded Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> flying through the sky. So Flight of the Jackwins. Elena and the three Jackwins start out in this episode. They go to a meeting where all the Jackwins decide who will be the Navagara. Is that how I say it? Uh, I thought it was Navagara, but it should definitely be said that I do not speak Spanish. Oh, I can't roll my R's. Okay, Navagara is fine. <laughs> um, so Skylar, who's kind of like the dummy Jacqueline, he wins the draw and the group disapproves, but the chief advocates for him. So does Elena. So he gets the job and then immediately screws it up because he goes to get the new recruits. There were two trainees. One was, he didn't seem to have any personality. There was a girl who was like a Tracy Flick type, (laughs) know-it-all, sit-in-the-front-of-class type character. And then Nico, Skylar's little brother, was like a Sean Penn in Fast Times at Ridgemont High because he came out and was like, dude, bro. (laughs) And then they stop at the Nablins village and end up playing a game too long. And then the other two trainees get kidnapped by a trickster coyote. Elena figures out that something's going on. So she and the other Jacqueline's go and find them. She finds the kidnapped Jacqueline trainees. And then Skylar kind of redeems himself because he and Nico defeat the coyote. Yeah, they use their trickster skills to out trick the trickster. Right. <laughs> so here's my thing about Jacqueline's, right? They are, well, have we said really what they look like yet? They're jaguars with wings. They are like the magical protectors of Avalor, where the magical and the real live side by side. Why the heck aren't the Jackwins in charge? Why are they working for the humans? Yeah, that's a good question. I just do not understand the power structure here at all. I don't know. It seems like the Jackwins got a pretty crappy lot in life. Just like having to hang out and protect Elena when she gets into scrapes. When I think they do a fine job ruling the kingdom. Anything else about the specific episode? I don't know that I had any really specific thoughts other than what are you doing with your lives, Jackwins? Right. I thought it was a kind of a predictable plot, but I do enjoy the mythical creatures aspect and what they look like in their own society i thought it was good to have an episode that focused on somebody other than elena i agree so any overall thoughts about the show i liked it i we've asked before would you watch this show alone voluntarily and this morning i dropped my kids off at preschool and i came home and because i had to finish up before tonight and I watched an episode with a cup of coffee and it was actually a really nice morning Aww, that's so great <laughs> and I did like that I liked that it was serialized and you felt like you were uncovering more week to week oh can we talk about diversity for a second and I don't want to step in it 
But mm-hmm. why is the only Latina princess? Why does she only get a TV show? See, I thought after seeing all the merchandise, I thought there was maybe a movie, but there isn't a movie at all, right? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm sure there was some intense calculation that went on to the that went into this like television shows are more enduring merchandising opportunities or something but yeah I mean that did just sort of strike a little note and make me raise my eyebrow a little bit because I know that Disney struggles with the diversity question yeah I think they really I think Moana is a pretty progressive female heroine she is a princess, but she's not like the typical princess and it's not a love story. And I just really like that movie. And I think Elena is a strong female character, but I was a little disappointed because she just is classic, like Barbie proportions. She does. That's true. Like beautiful face, hair always did. And even though like her little sister likes science and she can sword fight off the back of a Joaquin, there's still a little too much princess baggage attached to her, I think, to really say that she's a great role model. That said, I I think she's, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, I guess. She's better than some. Yeah, better than historical Disney princess types. There is this moment, the moment when she's sword fighting on the back of the carriage is actually in the credits. And then she has to go immediately from there to like some duty in the throne room. So she has to rush in and there's this cute close up where her tiara is askew and she has to fix it. And she does this little look like, oops, but she's still (laughs) otherwise perfect. She was just sword fighting on the back of a carriage. And the only problem (laughs) is that her tiara is slightly askew. Just a hair unrealistic, but, you know, she lives in a world with Jackwins and Noblins, so. Um, so would you watch it with your, I mean, would you have your kids watch it? Not right now. Uh, yeah. Because Jay's too young. He would not at all understand the plot, which is pretty complicated. Um, I did watch one episode with my four-year-olds, and they liked it, but it got too scary for them. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I think it would be good for, like, early elementary kids. Eventually, like, I want to expose Jay to, like, princess stories in addition to stories about trucks. But um, did you think at all about what adult show? Well, you compared it to a lot of adult shows just in in your uh, episode summary. I'm not a Game of Thrones watcher, but Game of Thrones, is it like Game of Thrones? Do you watch Game of Thrones? (laughs) Um, well, there certainly weren't enough boobs to compare it to Game of Thrones. (laughs) But yeah, I guess just in the fact that it's a fantasy world, you yeah, you can say that it's a little bit like Game of Thrones. The thing I compared it to is any serviceable hour long drama on the sci fi channel that like you watch one episode of or maybe a few episodes and you get into it. And then, like, before you know it, 13 episodes have just built up on your DVR. Perfectly inoffensive. I am not going to watch an extra episode to find out what happens with Elena's magical powers. Fair (laughs) enough. I guess I also thought Scandal a little bit. Elena as Carrie Washington's character. Really? Just because there are, well, there are a lot of, like, dark forces. Mm Mm-hmm. 
working against her and Olivia Pope is sort of a like she's a princess of Washington DC sort of yeah I can see that I haven't watched Scandal in a couple seasons but does that make Mateo and Gabe Fitz and Jake yeah are those still the main <laughs> <So>. love interests <laughs> well I thought of it because you said when things build up on your DVR and because I had a ton of scandal episodes and then I eventually deleted them because they were taking up too much space. Oh, so you didn't return to it. You can't tell me if it's worth going back. I'm not caught up to this current season. Yeah. Uh, Ratings? Should we rate? Sure. I think I would give it a four. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. You know, we haven't had any stark differences in ratings yet. We've been pretty of the same mind. I look forward to the first episode where we come to blows as close as one can come to blows over Skype about our rating. Yeah, what's it going to (laughs) be? I think I want to say one thing because in the beginning we talked about, like, do you say Hispanic or Latino? I would just add, I think if you are actually a Latino person, you maybe identify yourself as American if you're from here or maybe from the specific country that you came from or your parents came from. Latino is kind of a catch-all term for white people to use, I guess. I feel like it's a little bit applicable in this instance because we don't have a specific geographical space to assign. Well, it's the same as where Sophia the First lives. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And you can tweet us with show or movie suggestions or just general comments at at myscreentime2 and email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye.